So this is not a time for spiritual chumps or punks. This is a time where where you have to go public and you have to declare with compassion, with love, but with crystal clear clarity, heaven's point of view. That's Dr. Tony Evans talking about the importance of Christians speaking up and impacting the culture for Christ to build God's kingdom. Welcome to Refocus with Jim Daly, a podcast production from Focus on the Family. As believers, we need to choose who we're going to serve. Are we going to live for the Lord or are we going to live for ourselves and be persuaded by what others think? The world around us is becoming more opposed to the truth. I think you can sense that. And as scripture says, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not lose heart. Uh, In today's episode, Dr. Evans is going to share with us how to make an impact in our culture by living as Christians in the kingdom of God. On Refocus, I want to help you create change in our broken culture by showing truth, grace, and love to others as you share Jesus with them. Dr. Evans is the founder and senior pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship and the Urban Alternative Ministry in Dallas, Texas. He's written a book with Focus on the Family, part of the Kingdom series called Kingdom Focus, which we'll be drawing from today. So here's my recent conversation with Dr. Tony Evans on Refocus with Jim Daly. Again, one of the things, I love your enthusiasm for the Lord. And I saw you years ago at the Dallas airport. You would not remember this. You didn't, we didn't know each other. But you and your wife, your late wife, Lois, uh, I think you had an AM flight. It was early. You were eating, I think, an Egg McMuffin. Not that I was uh, spookily. <laughs> no, you, you know. But um, I just remember you praying at the gate, sitting there over your Egg McMuffin. <laughs> and I thought, man, he is the real deal. And I loved it. When you look at today's culture, Christian culture particularly, um, especially as a pastor, I'm thinking you preparing a sermon, and I'm not saying your church is like this, but people in the congregation, congregations around the country that are half-heartedly going with the Lord, you know, maybe excited sometimes, but mostly uninspired, going to work. They don't feel the presence of God and what they're here to do. And I guess the right question is, what do you think God intends for us in this life? How should we be living? Well, you know, uh, Christians have become the visiting team. We're, we've lost home field advantage. Uh, the um, the values of the culture have become dominant and have transferred itself above the values of the kingdom of God. Mm. Uh, and because we have been more culturized than kingdomized, mm. that has led to uh, an attitude reflected by an action of a non-committal. Mm. Enough religion for us to be dangerous, but not full commitment for us to be transformative. Yeah. And um, Jesus uh, says, you know, to the church at Laodicea, you know, you, you're lukewarm. You know, you're neither hot nor cold. You're not hot coffee and you're not iced tea. You just, you know, you just warmed over milk and, and, and I have to spew you out of my mouth. You make me want to vomit. <sighs> so a lot of contemporary Christianity makes Jesus want to throw up. Because we're not all in. You know, I'm, I'm from Dallas, you know, which means that you're a Cowboy fan. Yeah, well, I was going to ask uh, you that. You are a football guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, you have fair weather fans. They, they can take it or leave it. You have some committed fans. They won't miss the game on television. 
But then you got the fanatical fans. They, they're going to go to the game. They're going to get season tickets, and they're going to know the stats because they're all in. Well, when it comes to the kingdom of God, God's, God's got some fair-weather Christians, you know, uh, a little bit of Jesus here, a little bit of Jesus there. Uh, then you've got those who are fairly committed. They won't miss church. They'll do maybe small group or Bible study. But God is looking for some kingdom fanatics. He's looking for some <laughs> folks who are going to go all in for this thing called the kingdom, which is the uh, jurisdiction of God's rule designed to be from heaven transferred to earth through his people. Yes. Let me carry that football analogy a little further because you had an opportunity with the Cowboys, I think, to be with them at certain times, even the night before a Super Bowl or two. Mm-hmm. But the point of it is, in the book, you, you kind of draw that conclusion of being with these guys that know what the prize is the night before the big game, and you see it in their faces. It's intensity. It's we're in for this. And that's kind of adding to that analogy, right? Well, I, absolutely. I mean, when... In Priestley, you know, I was chaplain for the Cowboys for five years under Tom Landry. And now my son, is the, who played in the NFL for four years, has taken my place as chaplain. <laughs> and when they and when they um, uh, when they gather in preseason, the discussion is about the uh, Super Bowl. Now they got sixteen, seventeen games to go, but they have a vision mm-hmm. that's presented them of where we want to wind up. So it's not just this game, it's this vision. And if you don't have a kingdom vision and you only have a goal for the moment, then you're missing the big picture. And therefore you wind up living for the moment and not for the purpose, which means you won't accomplish the purpose because you won't be fully committed because you're not looking big enough. You're looking too small. Mm-hmm. You know, Tony, I, I know people listening are like, really, more football analogies? Yeah, but, I'm sorry. But no, for me, because I'm going to say it this way, I can remember when I played football, I had a great coach. He actually introduced me to the Lord through Fellowship of Christian mm-hmm. Athletes. He sponsored me to go as a 15-year-old, and I gave my life to Christ at that point. And uh, he was the same guy on the practice field that grabbed my face mask and jerked my head around going, if you're going to lead this team as quarterback, then you have to finish those wind sprints first. You know, he, he was just pulling me all around. But it was a man thing. Now that I'm a man, I understand what he was doing. He's trying to get me to become a leader, mm-hmm. to become a man. I feel like in our culture today, we have so feminized what boys need to become men. Another man calling a boy out to say, this is what it means to be a man. This is what it means to be a Christian man. And we've made it so tender that it almost doesn't work for us as guys. Oh, yeah. We've, we've, uh, we've decaffeinated manhood. <laughs> we've taken all the lead out. Uh, uh, you know, God didn't create Adam and Eve at the same time. He created Adam first because he was going to hold Adam ultimately responsible. When Adam and Eve sinned, he didn't come and say, Adam and Eve, where are y'all? He said, Adam, where are you? God Mm. says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't say he's the God of Sarah, Rebecca, and Rachel. Not because women weren't important, but he was going to hold them in responsible. In Exodus chapter 34, verses 23 and 24, he called all the men of Israel to meet with him. The ladies couldn't come, only the men. And he says, if I will get the men to follow me, I will save your families and save your nation. Mm. 
So if I was Satan and I had this information available to me, I would I would weaken men. I would remove men from their place in the home, in the church and in the culture from fulfilling their kingdom responsibility. And then you wind up with Ezekiel twenty two thirty. I, I look for a man so I wouldn't have to curse the land, but I could find none. And so the land was cursed. And there were plenty of males, but he couldn't find a man. So evidently you can be a male and not a man. Wow. I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And this isn't a guilt trip. This isn't to, to load up. But we need a kick in the backside from time to time as guys. I mean, every wife knows that. Um, man, have you not done this? Why haven't you done that, right? Yeah, I mean, men need men need a challenge. And we've not had enough men to challenge other boys and men to biblical manhood, leading to uh all levels of kind of breakdown in our in our society and with the next generation, which is tragic, and that has made us the visiting team. However, even if you're the visiting team, you're still expected to win. So we still gotta we still gotta do our job and and get on the field and and uh, and raise the next generation to make an impact for the kingdom of God. And that that is a great goal and something that we all should be striving for to become better and not be soft in the culture. Boy, right now the culture needs what we have to share. They may not even know it, but to get this chaos back down to some shalom, some peace. Well, that we really have quite an opportunity here because as as bad as things are, it it is demonstrating that the culture doesn't have solutions to its own problems. Right. And therefore, this open space, if Christians will get our act together, we can invade that open space with a kingdom worldview and a kingdom focus so that we can bring real answers to real problems that the culture does not have. Yeah, which is so good. And the book covers so much material. Let me ask you this. How critical is it for us to recognize our own weaknesses and to not try to be that, I guess, a, like a super Christian, but motivated in our own power. You, you, you probably see folks like that in the church, not to point any fingers, but you know, you, you're really hyper intensity in your faith, but it's not coming from the right source. Absolutely. Well, one of the things God really hates a lot is self-sufficiency. I mean, Jesus said in John 15, without me, you can do nothing. And so, and he was telling that to men. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. So what he's saying is, I want your strength to be dependent on me, not your strength to be dependent merely on you. We are to be dependent on heaven's resources for earth's uh, involvement and earth's impact. The moment that we become our own goals and our own sufficiency, we've uninvited God to be involved with us. There must then now needs to be a return, a radical return to God's perspective, God's worldview, a kingdom orientation in order to be able to maximize the strength that he has given us that has not been made to you. It's, you know, if you have an appliance. That means it's been manufactured to do whatever that appliance says. But until you plug it in, it won't be able to pull off what the manufacturer put in it. So we've been manufactured to have major kingdom impact, but we don't want to be plugged in until we wonder why the equipment is not working. <laughs> that is a good analogy, man. In, in that context, uh, how would you suggest a person do an inventory of themselves to know if they're tapping into their own power versus tapping into God. What does that look like in your head? Well, first of all, it does start with a mindset. 
when you develop this, what I call this kingdom mentality, this kingdom mindset, what you are saying is, Lord, today I am looking to you through your spirit to give me what I need to pull off what you want me to do. That is expressed in prayer. That is expressed through the knowledge of his word and the application of it. Remember, God's word is true, but it must be activated Mm. in order for it to be true for you. It's true whether you activate it or not, but if you don't activate it, it won't be true for you. Mm. So this activation always has to do with movement. What steps did I take to demonstrate I believed your word and I'm acting on it. Once you know what his word is, express dependency through prayer about it, and then take that step, you have now activated it. Even going back to the appliance, you can plug it in without it being turned on. Yeah. So so the idea of through activation is turning it on. If we all have electricity in our homes, that means there's a company supplying power to our homes. But that company doesn't come and turn on the light switch. You got to turn on the light switch. The power is there. But if you don't turn on the light switch, it's useless power. That is such a good analogy. Um, Kingdom citizen. What's the definition of that? What is a kingdom citizen? A kingdom citizen is a Christian who brings the values of heaven to the concerns of the culture. Mm. That is, they want society to see heaven at work in its midst. That's why we're called to be salt not of the shaker. (laughs) We're called to be salt of the earth. We're called to be light, not of the bulb. We're called to be light of the world. In other words, there should be a visible, verbal presence of the kingdom of God in the midst of the culture of men so they can see what heaven looks like when heaven addresses whatever needs to be spoken into in the culture. Well, again, to my opening, seeing you at the gate in DFW, you and Lois praying over your breakfast. That's being a subtle light in front of like 150 people. Well, you know, everybody (laughs) else is coming out the closet. We might as well come out too. Okay. In that context, when you look at, you know, the culture, man, there's so many things that you uh, mentioned that are going crazy. How do, how do we make a difference? How do we, I know we talk about the public policy stuff, but really it's bigger than that. This is spiritual. Well, we can, we can answer that with one passage of Scripture. Second Chronicles chapter 15, verse 5 and 6 says, In those times there were many disturbances that affected all the inhabitants of the land. To the man who came out, left home, to the man who went in. Then it says, city rose up against city, and nation rose up against nation. And then verse 6 concludes with these words, For God troubled them with every kind of distress. You would have thought it would have said, for the devil troubled them with every kind of distress, but it doesn't. The reason is because they had abandoned God, Romans 1 verse 18 was interjected. Verse 24, 26, and 28, God turned them over, God turned them over, God turned them over. He says, I'm going to let you have life without me. Because you don't want me, I'm going to let you not have me. And once that happens, then disintegration enters into that environment. He gives three reasons in verse 3 of uh, Second Chronicles 15. He says there were three reasons why this happened. He says there was no true God, idolatry, no teaching priests, the churches had failed. And then he says there was no law. God's governing guidelines were no longer operative. But then there was a solution in verse 4. He says, in their distress, they returned to the Lord and he let them find him. 
That's the same word distress used in verse 6. God calls the distress. I tell this story about Lois. Uh, when I met her, she was 18 years old. This beautiful girl. But she was not responding at the rate to which I was accustomed. So <laughs> she was, she was, her girlfriend was moving a little slow. So I had to help her sister out. So what I did was... Uh, I took her to an amusement park in Baltimore where I was born and raised, and it had a, a roller coaster for two called the Wild Mouse. And it went, you know, wild, and it went like it was going to jump off the track and turn real quick. I got two tickets. And uh, the wilder the ride got, the closer she got. <laughs> By the time the ride was over, you thought only one person got on it. And the reason I put her on that ride was to create some distress. Because I know if I created enough distress, she'd move a little closer, okay? Wow. So God allows distress to wake us up to our need for him mm. and draw us closer to him. We have abandoned a biblical kingdom worldview, even Christians have, and we have been co-conspirators to cultural demise. So there needs to be a radical return of God's people if the culture is going to be changed. God's not going to skip the church house to fix the White House. Uh, Tony, it's obvious that you believe, but I want to make sure I hear you clearly. You think we're at that moment in the culture where God has handed the culture over to the deprivation of their their desires. Yeah, and worse than that, we're in stage three. There are three stages in Romans 1, and stage three is he turns them over to a depraved mind. Yeah. And, and, and um, because people's thinking is insane. Th that's you know, the, where we're at. I mean, we're in the insanity yeah. stage. And what makes it worse is when he comes to the end, he says, because they not only do the same, but they approve of those who do them. So it's the approval. When you legislate, legalize, approve, you transfer these values to the next generation that are that are evil. Uh, you, we're at the level, so we, we don't have a lot of time left right now to turn this thing around. So this is not a time for spiritual chumps or punks. This is a time where, where, where you, have to, you have to go public and you have to declare with compassion, with love, but with crystal clear clarity, yeah. heaven's point of view. And this demands a kingdom focus and a kingdom mindset and a kingdom declaration and demonstration. Yeah, which is so good. Let's, um, you know, and this is meat. We're talking about some heavy stuff here, but looking at the church, you also feel like, uh, you know, there's too much softness in leadership and we're not doing those things you just said. So what? how does that turn around? How do pastors become a little more stiff in their spine on spiritual things? Well, you know, a mist in the pulpit will always lead to a fog in the pew. And when, uh, and when the leaders are not, not only preaching the word, which is where it starts, but empowering members to execute the word with accountability. For example, in our church in Dallas, we won't let you join if you don't agree to serve. You can't say, preach to me, sing to me, marry me, bury me, but expect nothing from me. That's called a leech. And the whole idea is not just to see the, the church is not a hospice. It's a <laughs> right. hospital. A hospice is where you make comfortable while you die. A hospital is where you are fixed so you can live. The church is supposed to be a hospital. Yes, people come broken and struggling and needs, but we're supposed to patch them up so they can go back to work. Right. Not just sit soaking sour in the sanctuary. So there's a critical need for pastors to have a, a proclamation, a leadership base, and influence into the congregation. So when the benediction is given, the church has just gotten started. Right. Because now 
A doctor is not just a doctor. He's God's representative in the medical field. So the medical field sees what God looks like when God helps hurting people. A lawyer is not just a lawyer. They're God's representative in the Bar Association. So the Bar Association can see what God looks like when God tries a case and on and on and on. That you are now representatives of the kingdom of God in your sphere of influence, making you a kingdom representative. And I feel for the pastors, because today's churches, it's not necessarily about come in, patch up and go out. We come in and, you know, there isn't enough servant attitude. And, and we expect the pastors to do the work rather than Absolutely. helping them. Absolutely. So the, the fundamental thing that, in my view, the church has missed is the kingdom. And the Christians have missed is the kingdom. So we evangelize to get people to heaven. We then don't turn them around and get heaven to the people while they're on earth. Mm-hmm. And the idea of the kingdom is to bring thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The reason why you're not raptured the moment you get saved is there's a job for you to do until you get to heaven. And unless you make the connection that there's no distinction between secular and sacred, if you've been kingdomized, everything is now sacred. Everything comes from a spiritual root. Let me put it this way. Everything visible and physical is always preceded by something invisible and spiritual. So if you want to correct or change or adjust something in the visible physical, you must identify its invisible spiritual cause to get the visible physical cure. And unless you make that connection, you'll have this division that is not part of the kingdom. Give us an example of that, how to help us learn how to do it. Just pick something that you just alliterated on. What, what would it be like to think of a situation? I mean, when God made, uh, declared in Genesis 1, I'm going to make them male and female. He said, I'm going to make them in my image. An image is a mirror, so we're to reflect him. He says, I want them to replicate, be fruitful and multiply. And then he says, let them rule. Then after that, he says, and he blessed them. People get married for the blessing first. I want to be happy. I want to be fulfilled. There's nothing wrong with that. But that's assuming some things preceded it, which was the basis for which you're going to be blessed. And that is you're fulfilling your kingdom responsibility of representing me, of replicating me through the next generation of your children, fruitful and multiply, and that you are ruling in unity. So when God says in First Peter chapter 3, verse 7, if a husband and wife are in conflict, the husband's prayers are hindered, you, you have to understand God will work with the family based on the unity around his kingdom purpose. Then you get to be happy. But if you forget the kingdom purpose, your happiness is going to be in jeopardy because your happiness was dependent upon just you and her and him and not the kingdom role of marriage. That's why he tells the husband, you're supposed to be like Christ. And you love the wife like Christ loved the church. How do you love the church? To death. So if you're still alive, you ain't finished yet. Okay? <laughs> so, I mean, so unless you have the spiritual kingdom purpose and you're only looking for your own happiness, then you're going to miss the bigger goal, which brings the personal blessing. That right there, if I were to ask you to put a percentage on people in the church that are living there, what would you say it is? Oh, oh, less than 10%. Yeah. Very small. But because we have dumbed down the institution of marriage and family to what's to cultural nuances, not to kingdom purposes. In addition to that, the demonstration of that power that you referenced a while ago, um, you've had some great losses in your family over yeah, the last few have. years. I mean, lo- I, I was reading through the prep. I mean, First, describe that loss, and then here's here's the point: how you have managed that publicly, how you have expressed it, doesn't mean you're without grief, 
but I'm still here. I still got a job to do. I'm pressing forward. But describe the loss and how you have processed that and still wake up every morning like you did today, mm-hmm. ready to go. Well, yeah, we lost uh, eight family members in two years, and it came down to uh, my father and my wife uh, passing away a month apart. So uh, he was November 2019. She was December 2019. Uh, And uh, so I'm toggling back from Dallas to Baltimore where he was trying to care for both of them. So it was a a traumatic time of of, of, uh, drain, of grief, of sadness now. She passed away on December 30th. Um, The next day was December 31st, New Year's Eve service, which we have every year. As she was failing, she looked at me and she said, don't you stop preaching. Mm -hmm. Don't you stop um, serving the Lord. Don't let the devil win. And she was dying. And, uh, but because of that camaraderie, I was able to, get up on the 31st to go to church and share with my congregation that I have to believe what I have taught you all these years. And I used Isaiah 40 where they said that this isn't fair. It didn't feel fair. You know, we were, we were, she was 70 years old and it was this time when we had planned to do some things we had not gotten around to do and we didn't get to do them. I felt that mm. um, in a very deep way. But her words in Isaiah 40, he gives new strength, empowered me to keep going. And I'm still riding off of that today. Yeah. And so are my kids. And so is the ministry. Well, and that's, the I guess, the point of um, expression or example that you're providing where sometimes those of us in leadership crumble far too easily like we're talking about what to believe and then we get hit with something like that hmm. eight deaths in a close proximity one your father one your wife and people are watching yeah and in fact the next month january 2020 my daughter who everybody knows priscilla shire uh, had lung cancer yeah and she had to have half of her lung removed my second daughter who's the oldest child, Crystal, had a a, a cancerous growth in her leg. Six months after that, that's not counting the eight, six months after that, Priscilla's mother-in-law died suddenly in their home. So it's it's just been nonstop. Maybe this is the question for the listeners, Um, and it's an important one in our culture because we're looking, somehow in our head we have this equation that if we are living for the Lord, then we are blessed and bad things won't happen to us. Not to simplify that, but that's where that that bitterness can grow Mm -hmm. because you think there's an equation there that should work A plus B equals C. And Lord, I'm serving you. I'm doing it. I'm giving. I'm doing everything you want me to do. How could you do this to me? Speak to that person who's either watching or listening to us who might be having that argument with the Lord right now. How do you settle that and say, all right, Lord, it's all for you, no matter my circumstance? At, at my wife's funeral, um, my son spoke, Jonathan, who's, he's the one who played in the NFL and, and now works with me in ministry. And he talked about our prayer for healing. I mean, she was the most prayed for woman in America during that time, probably in Christian America. 
Uh, so if prayer could could have changed something, it would have been in her case. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I had taught our folks that God has a conditional will and an unconditional will. His conditional will are things he will do based on whether we meet the conditions. His unconditional will are things he's going to do regardless of anything else. It's a sovereign choice. And if you only know his conditional will and you don't know his unconditional will, then you're going to be disappointed because you met the conditions and what you thought was going to happen didn't happen. But there's this other side of God and we have to give we have to give sovereignty its place. So my son, when he stood up and he preached the funeral, he said, we prayed for God's healing. And God said, yes, huh. it just wasn't on this side. Right. And unless you have this bigger kingdom picture and not just a cultural picture and a temporal picture, you will succumb, you'll collapse when life falls upon you. John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. (laughs) Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You only need to overcome something if there's something to overcome. (laughs) So life gives you things to overcome. And that's where leaning on a faith that's vibrant and having people around you who can pick you up when your faith and you, your knees buckle and your faith gets weak is critical. That's why we're not supposed to be Lone Ranger Christians. Well, that's so good. Um, as we look forward, and something you touched on as you were uh, working with the Dallas Cowboys was keeping our eyes on the prize. In their case, obviously, it's a Super Bowl. But for Christians, it's eternity. It's long term. It's doing God's work here on earth to draw people into the kingdom of God, Right. And uh, I think your analogies are so good. King Solomon comes to mind in the Old Testament as an example of uh, learning from somebody. So what can we learn from his example? Well, you know, uh, his example became a whole book in the Bible, (laughs) (laughs) Ecclesiastes. um, And it is his struggle with life and the lessons he had to learn from his departure from God, right. the need for the centrality of God, for life not to be vanity and emptiness. He tried it all, and he could afford it, okay? Because in today's dollars, he would have been a billionaire. Uh, it, he talks about the parties he had. He talks about the property he owned. He talks about the—I mean, you couldn't get a better job. You're king. So you, yeah, don't right. work, you don't work for anybody. Everybody works for you. Uh, and he talks about all of these things, and he keeps it. He says, and all of them were vanity. And, and in other words, it did not bring ultimate fulfillment, just temporal distraction. And then he says throughout the book of Ecclesiastes— that the only thing that can bring meaning and fulfillment is when life is connected to God. He says, he says, this is the purpose. This is the goal to connect everything to God. It is okay to have a great career. It is okay if you legitimately, ethically, and morally make money. It's okay. But the problem is when it gets disconnected Mm. from God. The verse you quoted, seek ye first the kingdom of God. Uh, There's some things God can't do. There's some things God can't do. For example, God can't lie. The Bible says for two immutable things, it's possible for God to lie. God can't compromise his nature. God can't uh, retract his word. Certain things God can't do. There's another thing God can't do. He can't be second. The moment you make God second, you have now created an idol 
for yeah. whatever is in front of him. And you know what I found talking with people that don't know the Lord? It's that chase. You know, for the business guys, it's one more deal. They've already made, you know, $700 million, <laughs> right. and their kids are out of control. But, eh, you know, it's just one more deal. i got to keep working. And even within the LGBTQ community, I've met with some of them, and marriage is going to give us this dignity, and it's not meeting that need. There's still that hole. Because it's not, you know, the culture's affirmation is not really what it's about. Absolutely. And their whole, the whole is still there in so many of the people I've talked to. Absolutely. And be, because it is, it is um, a, a faulty priority. And when that priority gets lost, it, Psalm 128 lines out a kingdom layout for life. In verse 1 and 2, it says it starts with taking God seriously. He calls it fearing God. That means to take God seriously, not casually. He then goes to the family in verse 3. Your wife shall be a fruitful vine, your children like olive plants around your table. So you use the table not just for eating, but for leading in family harmony and unity and direction and guidance. In verse 5, he goes to Zion. Zion was the temple. So you went to gather with other people who shared the like faith. Then he goes to the city, the prosperity of the city. And then he goes to the peace of Jerusalem, the prosperity of the country. And he closes with, and you'll see your children's children. That's lineage and legacy. So individual, family, church, community, when you flow that way, you're flowing as a kingdom representative and you're flowing in each one of those tells you the benefit that God will bring when you're flowing in this process of kingdom order. Yeah, that is so good again. Um, you have an illustration in the book about the the monkey and the jar. I think some of us know that story where they're trying to get the fruit and researchers put the fruit in there, but if the monkey grabs it, it's too big to get his hand out mm-hmm. and he's got to release the fruit or you know figure out another way to get the fruit out. Yeah. So when you when, when you know when the monkey is in there, if, if he gonna hold on to that, he gonna be stuck. Right. Okay. But he okay. can't let go. I mean, it's so bizarre. He can't let that. Yeah, because he is so passionate about getting that that he loses his freedom, his purpose. He loses the ability to do what he was created to do because he's after something that is holding him hostage. And too many uh, people and too many Christians are being held hostage by that which is illegitimate because it feels good or it tastes good or we think it's good or it's good for the moment and it does not have eternity attached to it. God wants eternity, Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, written in our hearts. So he wants us to have an eternal perspective if we're going. In other words, the bigger heaven becomes and the bigger eternity becomes, the more earth makes sense. The smaller eternity is, the more chaotic earth will be. Powerful. I want to ask you about this, uh, you know, this human desire to be liked. I mean, we want to be seen as, you know, good people, positive, whatever. Um, And I think I've got like high school age young people in mind. My two boys are 22 and 20, that 20 something young person as well. We, we tend in the culture because of the, I think because of the saturation of marketing and everything else, we, we develop this desire to be liked. Oh, my goodness, look at social media. Mm-hmm. That's all about getting likes. They even call it getting liked. 
So in that context, um, the Lord says you're not going to be liked by the world if you're standing with me. People will hate you because of me. And I guess the two-part question I would have is, what would you say to the young people that are so saturated with the culture and being the desire to be liked? How do they, as followers of Christ, mature into the right perspective on that? And then let's just put us older people in there, too, because we got the same trap. Mm-hmm. We as parents, grandparents, we want to be liked. Um, how, how do we avoid that pitfall? Well, first of all, it's okay to want to be liked to a point as long as you don't want to be liked to a fault. In other words, you have in a football game, you have boundaries. Those boundaries make the game possible. The moment you step on the sideline, you're out of bounds, and therefore chaos sets in. You can't go any further because you left the boundary. What we have today is people wanting to be liked without boundaries. So they will step on the line, try to run the football out into the parking lot. Well, that's chaos now. So what you have to have are the boundaries in which being liked is acceptable and the boundaries in which being liked are unacceptable. Once you establish your boundary, anything within those boundaries enjoy to the max if they're God-honoring boundaries. But once you or your liking friends step out of that boundary, you know you're not being liked by God right now. So the question is who you want to be liked by the most. And the reason why that's important is who's going to help you when your friends disappear? So you need Who's to gonna be there. That's right. So so you know, you can have a friend today. But I mean, people will like you if you can if you make them happy, if you give them money, if you you know, if you doing their thing. But what happens when you when they disappear on you because something goes wrong in your life and your world is turned upside down? You better have something else working for you that wasn't uh, just there for the sunshiny days, yeah. but the cloudy days as well. You know, it's interesting too. Scripture, there's so much wisdom there because you're really describing the prodigal son, the the one who went away with his inheritance and then he ran out of cash and all his friends left him. Yep. And there he was in a pigsty having to eat what the pigs were eating, and he thought. Why am I doing this? I'm going to go back to my dad's ranch. At least there I can work as a hired hand and earn enough money to eat. Well, and, the, good, and the good news of the story is dad is still waiting. So, yeah, <laughs> so, looking, looking for yeah. him, right? I mean, so that's come on the amazing home. thing. And let me ask you a, a personal application because your kids, they turn out really strong. I would say, I don't know this, but probably not perfect. None of us are perfect. No. But as a parent, you're trying to um, you know, give the faith to your children. They've got to grab it. They got to say yes to the Lord. We can't do that for them. So when you're talking about even this little thing about being liked and that, how do you communicate to a 15-year-old in this culture that's saturated with screen time and is not maybe as into going to church with his parents or her parents as the parents would like and a little distant dealing with stuff at school maybe? Might be getting bullied online. Who knows? But you, I'm painting the picture there. How do you as the parents say, okay, here's how it really works. This is what you got to do. Well, first of all, make sure that we don't just demand that they enter our world without us entering their world. Because many times as parents, we'll tell them, rightly so, what they should do, why they should do it. And we're, we're calling them to where we are or want them to be without joining them where they are, without compromise, but being concerned with what, what they're interested in. What One of the things we were able to do, uh, not perfectly, but we were able to do was 
engage in our children's worlds. So we enjoyed what they enjoyed that was legitimate to enjoy. And so they felt, and we, we didn't, we never told our kids, we want you to be involved in ministry as a, as a life occupation. But they naturally gravitated to it because we shared worlds. And, See, and, that's, shared worlds. and that's important because I think today a lot of our parenting and our spiritual expression of our parenting can actually have the adverse effect of pushing the kids away. It can because we are, uh, you know, rules without relationship will always lead to rebellion. So you want to establish relationship without compromising legitimate rules. And the biggest thing we did, which is, again, Psalm 128, verse 3, was we used the table. We, three or four days a week, we were around that table, and we didn't just eat. We laughed. We had devotions. We blessed. We corrected. We dealt with who your friends are. We dealt with what was happening in the culture. So we would spend an hour and a half at that table. Yeah. And that was a, that, that, the rule was you had to be at that table. Yeah. But at the table, we shared life and not just shared meal. That's so good. Hey, let's uh, shift to love of money, which you cover in the book as well. Um, I think you said one out of every 10 verses in the New Testament is about possessions. Mm-hmm. So it's a big deal to God. Yeah, and a, how do we manage it? Well, first of all, we have to remember money is a kingdom tool. You know, uh, God says in um, um, De- Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, he says, I give you power to make wealth. And then he says, to fulfill my covenant. Mm. Money is a tool to accomplish kingdom business. And once you detach money from kingdom business, then money becomes an end in itself. And therefore it becomes destructive. God tells the people in first Timothy six who have, who have extra, he says, make sure that with your extra, he says, it's okay to enjoy it, but make sure your good works for the kingdom is commensurate with your blessing from the king. So don't make this an end in itself, but a tool to advance the kingdom purpose for God giving you the power to do it. I uh, had a phone call with someone who gave a substantial first-time gift. They were listening to the broadcast, and they you know, just enjoyed it, had listened to it for a while, and thought they'd bless us. So I called to say thank you. And uh, I'll never forget what the, the husband and wife were on the speakerphone together. And he said, well, you know, Jim, this is how we see it. Uh, we expect you to run Focus effectively and efficiently so my wife and I can do ministry through it. And at first I went, what? What? That's a great line. <laughs> it yeah. is a great line because we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. And I think of the, the folks that are working in a secular environment, that maybe they've created a business or they're working for a business, they take some of that, they support the church, your church. That account accrues to them. Absolutely. In, the, in God's perspective. And it's such an important thing for people who give for that kingdom impact. God sees it all. Absolutely. And and you get you get credit for investing in that which is investing in the kingdom. And that's the way we should look at it. Uh, someone might be thinking, hey, it's uh, wrong to enjoy material things. You're the pastor. Give us the best insight on that. I'm sure it's enjoy it, but not too uh, too much. But how, <laughs> how do you draw that line? I don't know. Well, The Bible says that God gives us all good things to enjoy. So first of all, is is it good? Is it personally and spiritually beneficial? Secondly of all, 
is it balanced? Am I enjoying something as at an expense of something else that mm-hmm. I should be doing? If you're robbing God to enjoy life uh, or to enjoy the things you enjoy, then that means you have inverted the purpose of the resources. Uh, actually, you're stealing, according to Malachi 3, from God. So are your priorities in order? So if it's a legitimate thing to enjoy, if your priorities are not being inverted uh, for the enjoyment, then maximize the opportunities because there's going to be plenty in life that you won't enjoy. Right. <laughs> and a lot of that will be out of your control. Right. So it's okay to enjoy it as long as priorities are straight and it is legitimate. What are some of the uh, questions we can ask ourselves to check our heart, kind of that heart attitude about money and possessions? This is a big deal. I mean, you said one in 10 scriptures in the New Testament. So that's why I'm kind of drilling down in here. So how do we do a self-assessment that our hearts are in the right place? Well, Jesus says in uh, Matthew 6 that your heart will follow your treasure. You know, so the more you use your treasure for kingdom purposes, the more your heart will become kingdomized. Mm. Because now you have to track what's happening with your treasure. When we spend money on stuff, we we are concerned about the stuff because of what it costs us to have the stuff, the house, the car, the vacation, the boat, the whatever it is. Well, if you are focusing on kingdom and your treasure is there, your heart will want to know what's my kingdom benefit? What's the kingdom impact? Because I'm so invested in kingdom purpose. And when and when you know that you're part of something bigger. Yeah. That something and that will have eternity, eternal value to it. And the reality is, you know, um, in football, okay, the NFL games are on Sunday. But my son would always say he was always nervous about Monday because Mm. on Monday is when the coach took you through the tape. Right. And they showed you what you did and what you did not do. And it could be a good day or a bad day, depending on that tape. It doesn't matter what you say about what happened on Sunday. They're going to say, let's check the tape. When you stand before God and I stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, he's going to pull down the screen. Mm. Tell me what you think about your Christian life while you were on earth. Well, I think this, that, and the other. God's going to say, well, let's check the tape. The question is, when he shows your tape, Will there be enough on that tape to say you were kingdom-oriented, or will it all hit the cutting room floor? Tony, you've compared retirement planning to spiritual discipline. Now, how does that work as an, exa- as an example? <laughs> well, when you are planning for retirement, you're planning for that well in advance, of retirement. Yeah, years, hopefully. Uh, yeah, you are you are thinking long term. You're not just spending it today because today is the only thing that matters because when it when you do retire, you want to retire well. Right. That's the goal. <laughs> and so when we are planning our lives as kingdom citizens and kingdom representatives, we should be planning with the long-term view when my life ends and I transition to glory, 
what will I have laid aside that has eternal value attached to it and not just temporal things I leave behind? Because what God is going to want to know is not merely what you left behind, but what you forwarded ahead, Mm. what you did that heaven can use, the people you've helped, the impact you've made. And you got to think of that now while you are in the process, not at the last minute when it's too late to save. You have a weight loss story that illustrates how transformation takes place in our lives. Uh, I think you were in your 60s when your doctors were saying, mm, time to do a little adjustment, and you did it. How'd you do it? <laughs> well, it was, it was a couple of things. Uh, first of all, my health wasn't where it should be. Secondly of all, my doctor wouldn't play games with me. He told me the truth. Yep. Um, scared me a little bit. Um, and so I started with a shift in mindset. I had to decide what was more important, food or health? Mm. I had to make a priority decision, okay? What did I value more, okay? The doctor placed it out there in such a way that he shifted my value system. Right. And when he shifted my value system, it transformed my thinking. When it transformed my thinking, it transformed my eating and my working out. And when that got transformed, weight fell off, health got better, and quite frankly, I began to look better. So, so <laughs> if I do say so myself, <laughs> no, it's all true. Uh, yeah, it's all true. So, so when you kingdomize that, it's a shift in value system where you place the spiritual over the physical, and where it informs the physical. So now the physical is being lived from the inside out, spirit, soul, and body, not body, soul, and spirit. First Thessalonians five twenty three. And when you when you invert that and you're living from the inside out based on a kingdom spiritual biblically based value system, the transformation inside is like a um, popcorn. If you put popcorn in the microwave, it has moisture. Microwave heats up the moisture, the moisture becomes steam, the steam rises, and you hear pop, 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 pop. That's because you would never thought that little hard outside core was holding that nice soft stuff hostage that long. But when you gave it the right inner environment, the transformation became exposed in the visual. Well, what God wants to do is heat up the spirit so it informs the soul so we transform what we do with the body. Pop, pop, pop. Pop, pop. I love it. That's so good. What's the takeaway for the Christ follower? What are some small steps that a listener can do today to uh, be intentional about sharing God's love with others? This is a great question. Like, what do we do? First of all, start off your day with giving the day to the Lord and giving him the right to open up opportunities for your growth and for your witness. You know, we have these in our national ministry, the Urban Alternative, we have these acts of kindness cards that people write in and and get. And we challenge people to do an act of kindness at least once a week. Pray for the person you did the act of kindness for, then seek to witness to them. And there's QR code if you don't get the witness where they hear the gospel. And uh, then give them the card and let them know that you did this 
as part of your faith. A sinner can do good things. Sinners can't do good works because good works always have God attached to them. So now when God crosses somebody to your path, you now can become a witness as part of your lifestyle because now you're looking for it. Mm. And when you're looking for it, the opportunity God will bring across your path because your perspective is different. Tony, let's uh, spend a little time about how we stay on course. You have, again, the book is full of great analogies, metaphors, and you're, you're so perceptive in putting everyday things into play to understand spiritual truth. This one uh, that you mentioned in the book on staying on course is how pilots use Doppler radar to avoid wind shear and other potentially tragic situations. So make that analogy for us. Well, you know, um, <laughs> when a pilot is flying, he's often having to navigate through things he can't see. Right. And I'm on that plane. (laughs) You're hoping he's good at it. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So he needs something that can see what he can't see Hmm. so that he can fly safely and land him and me safely, okay? And so Doppler radar helps him to do that, the wind shears and all that. Uh, It helps him to get a reading on what he can't see himself. What the Holy Spirit does is give us a reading from the spiritual so we know how to navigate the physical. When we are disconnected from God and God's satellite system, his Doppler radar, is not guiding us, we're living blind and we're subject to accidents, crashes, or even winding up in the wrong location. So it is critical. You know, in uh, 1 Chronicles 14, David is in conflict with the Philistines. And uh, he goes to God and he says, now how should I handle this? Should I attack? And God gives him the go-ahead to do that. But a little bit later, in the same chapter, after he wins one battle, the Philistines come another way. He goes back to God and say, okay, should I do what I did last time? God says, no, uh uh-uh. We're changing our strategy this time. Even though it's the same problem, the same people, it was a different strategy. So because he was in tune with God, he could get guidance for the same problem, but a new strategy that God wanted to use in this attack. God's radar system, his Holy Spirit, is not designed to be some ethereal Casper the friendly ghost. It's designed to be a guidance system to shift our movements in the decisions of life because we're spiritually connected to move in concert with God's will and his kingdom purpose. Yeah. In fact, you've uh, written about abiding in Christ, and it requires, according to your comments, revelation, illumination, confirmation, and application. Describe those. Well, let's talk. About, let's let's use a tea bag, okay? Okay. Uh, let's say uh, a tea bag. <laughs> Two ways people drink tea. A lot of people are dippers, so they take the tea bag and they dip up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. If you're a dipper now, that means you put the tea bag on the spoon, you wrap the string around the spoon. I'm a dipper. You, you push your finger on the bag to get more of the tea out. So you, you're doing a lot of work you if you're a dipper. This. Okay, right. Well, I'm not a dipper. I'm an abider. Okay. And an abider drops the tea bag in the water and just leaves it alone. 
Because if the teabag hangs out in the water long enough and the water hangs out in the teabag long enough, there's going to be a transformation that occurs naturally. Yeah. Well, what a lot of Christians do is they dip in on Sunday and dip back out. <laughs> they dip in on Bible study and dip back out. God wants to hang out with us. That's why Paul can say pray without ceasing in First Thessalonians 5. He says pray without ceasing. In other words, this is not a form of devotion. This is bringing me in on everything. Yeah. And you can do that verbally, but you can also do that mentally. Yeah. When you invite God into a circumstance, into a meeting, into a a, a situation to speak into that and to give you guidance, because now you and the Lord are walking together. You're not just visiting. Well, what I'm getting from that as a dipper, impatience. That's actually what that is. Yeah. And it's true. Yeah, you're trying like, to rush on, it. We got to get it go. Come on. Yeah. Wrap it up. Squeeze it out. Mm-hmm. Now it's the right color. I can drink it. And uh, that's that's fascinating, yeah. Yeah, well, so drink your tea differently now. Yeah, I'll be an abider. <laughs> that's good. Hey, God knows our hearts, but what are some indicators? Again, it's almost like that. I'm coming back to that a couple times, that self-assessment ability. Because you're dropping so many great thoughts, Honest. And what are some of those indicators that a Christian's heart is, well, let me say my heart is not right with the Lord? What are some things I, as the believer, should be noticing in my own journey, my own walk, that are the red flashes on the dashboard saying, watch out, overheating, stop dipping? (laughs) (laughs) Well, first love, uh, Revelation 2, they had all these commendations, but then you have this one condemnation. It says you've left your first love. You didn't leave your love. You left your first love. Mm -hmm. First love always has something that always goes with it. Passion. Passion is always tied to first love. When you see the fire going out, the excitement going out, I don't want to be with him. Uh, You know, you become formal in your relationship, like what happens in a marriage, Mm. because they stop dating. There's no passion. That's the greatest warning sign. When the fire for the Lord is diminishing rather than expanding. Um, Jesus would say, the zeal for my father's house has consumed me. Paul would say, woe is me if I don't preach the God. In other words, that's fire. Our fire should be burning hotter, not cooling off. So when you see it cooling off, that means you need more embers in there. Yeah. You need to, you need to relight it or or have influences that help you relight it, you know, to stir it up. And what what are those actions to take that that give you those embers? Well, number of things. First of all, sometimes it's it's just based on a decision to re-engage mm-hmm. because you see that you have not engaged. Other times it's big, you know, if you put a single log into a fireplace, it's not going to stay hot for long. It's got to be rubbing up against other logs. So if you are not hot get around some hot people so that their fire can rub off on you. And that's one of the things the body of Christ should give to one another. Well, that's so good. There's so much stress and chaos in this culture, in this world broadly. I mean, wars and rumors of wars. Man, we're starting to hear this, you know. Is World War III around the corner? What's going to happen to oil prices? What's going on with groceries? I mean, it's like bad news on every front. And you can kind of get overwhelmed with that. What's your message to the stressed out, fearful Christian uh, right now? And how do we need to change that fear into trust for God, regardless of our circumstances? I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon me. How you feel is generally driven by what you think 
and what you're focusing on. Mm. And what the news cycle does is give us a focus of fear because we're, it's, it's all day. It's every day. It's, it, it's nonstop. And that becomes our focus, which controls our fear. Mm. So what we've got to do is limit. We still need to know what's going on, but limit that and expand our spiritual kingdom focus. And when we expand our spiritual focus and our kingdom perspective, then our faith overrides our fear rather than our fear overriding our faith. Be anxious for nothing, but in prayer and supplication, make all your requests known to God and the God of peace will guard your heart. So God has a century of angels because every believer, according to Hebrews 1.14, has been assigned an angel. And that angel is supposed to be hanging out with you as you hang out with the Lord. So don't put him in another room while you go do your thing because then he can't do his job, okay? Wow. <laughs> so let's, That's let's hang out. That's an amazing word picture. You need to think of that. That you're assigned an angel. You are. Every believer has one. (laughs) There were so many important truths in that discussion with Tony. I love that guy. He just gets it right down to what's most important. The world needs those who know Jesus to be representatives of the kingdom of God. Jesus says we are to be the salt of the earth. Salt was used to preserve food and keep bacteria from doing its harm. You and I are called to help preserve the world and share Christ as the answer to a chaotic culture. Uh, Tony gave us some great examples of how to do that. And that's my mission with the Refocus podcast, to help you bring the kingdom of God into their everyday lives. If you want to help us continue important conversations like this one, I hope you'll support us financially. With a gift of any amount, uh, you can do ministry through us, and I'll send you a copy of Dr. Evans' book, Kingdom Focus, which is published by Focus on the Family and Tyndale. All right, for the inbox segment, here's a voicemail from Andrew. Hey, Jim. So you travel every day, right? Or at least a lot. Uh, With a large ministry, meet with a lot of people, and I'm sure you face a lot of criticism because of that with people you come in contact with. So how do you prepare spiritually every day for those moments of criticism, and how do you respond to that? Andrew, that actually is a really good question, and here's my answer. I don't give it much attention. It's true. I mean, people in this day and age with social media and all the ways ill-informed people can attack another person— You just have to say, Lord, they don't know what they're talking about and keep moving. And I really don't spend any time uh, looking at those negative statements. When people know me, I think they understand they know my heart for them and the love of Christ. And that's my goal in all of that. Uh, These are POWs who are critical. I think what's tough sometimes is when people from within the church are critical of me meeting with um, perhaps the uh, LGBT leadership or abortion leadership. But my sense is, man, the Lord's going to put us in those places to do his will. I have really created some good friendships in those arenas and put a little dent into their logic. And I praise God for that opportunity. What more can I do? Uh, Thank you for submitting that question, Andrew. And I'll send you a copy of my book, Refocus, that I hope will help you uh, deepen that engagement with the culture. Now, if you have a question for me, please send me a voicemail by clicking on the link in the show notes. 
I would love to hear from you. Thanks again for listening to Refocus with Jim Daly. You can help us uh, reach and encourage more people by telling your friends. Also, like, listen, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Next time on Refocus, listen for a conversation with Jason Jimenez about how to understand the cultural roadblocks that keep Gen Z from connecting with Christ and how to get past them. Number one, there's a difference between approval and acceptance. Okay, you approve of who your daughter is because she is made in the image of God and she's your daughter and she will always be your daughter no matter what she believes about her sexuality or her identity. Number two, when it comes to accepting, that doesn't mean that you accept everything she believes. Jesus loves all people, but he doesn't love all ideas or beliefs or deeds. That's coming up on December 4th on the next Refocus with Jim Daly. God wants true disciples, ones that think like Him, talk like Him, walk like Him, disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.